What's up, guys? Welcome back to the Light and Lamp podcast. I am here with Steve. Hello. As always, and this is our pre, technically pre-trade deadline, catching up on a lot of the trades that have happened before the actual deadline day, which is tomorrow. Uh, just for reference, this is being recorded on uh, March 20th at around 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. So there will be trades that have that will break after this episode is recorded before it's uploaded. So just keep that in mind. Uh, and then next week we'll do a full wrap-up of the trade deadline when it's fully passed. We usually record like Wednesdays or Thursdays. So just keep that in mind uh, as far as what's happening. So uh, even though this episode might go up on Monday, uh, this is counts as the week of the uh the episode for the week of the 13th so just keep that in mind so anyway all that to say there's been a lot of crazy nonsense going on uh we'll start with the kind of first um i guess we, we can start with the frank vetrano deal uh just as a little bit of a a kickoff um and then obviously after that like the ben Chirot deal is like the first major major piece to move and then i always everything that would go on so uh frank vetrano goes from the florida panthers for a fourth round pick which is conditional uh at the time of the trade the rangers own their own fourth round pick and winnipeg's fourth round pick the pick that goes to the panthers for this year's draft will be whichever one is the lower of the two and the rangers acquire frank vetrano so basically frank vetrano straight up for a fourth round pick uh with some conditions attached to it uh, Vetrano is a 28-year-old. He's currently on the last year of a three-year, $2.5 million deal. Uh, so he is a unrestricted free agent after the season. Um, from a Rangers fan perspective, why don't you go ahead and just give me your thoughts on, on this trade? Um, I mean, I thought it was an all right trade. It was We needed some depth up front, and I think it added. I don't know if he's kind of fits what we were talking about, considering he's a little more on the undersized side but it still addresses adding something up front um but i still think the rangers are going to be more active at the deadline than they are than just this move at least i would hope so uh you know there's a lot of things to take into account when it comes to you know what we expect to see out of the rangers obviously uh, they have a lot of cap space right now because of the, we were just talking about how broken the cap space system actually is. We don't understand how it works. Um, they will not have $33 million in cap space come the end of the season, I don't think, because I think the way it, like you accrue it over the course of a season or something. I, yeah, it's uh, some weird shit, honestly. <laughs> according, like, I to, don't... according to Cap Friendly, during this offseason, they're going to have about $10 million to sign players, so... Um, they still have wiggle room, you know. They still have room to make trades. I don't think that they'll be going ahead and making anything of the likes of like just to throw out another trade that happened, like the Hampus Lindholm deal, where they end up like just signing some dude to an eight-year contract right after trading for him. Oh yeah, no, no way. I don't think so either. But apparently, they're in the market for a right-handed defenseman, so we'll see what happens with that. I think this is a good trade for the Rangers. You know, they they need some depth, and it's just insurance. Uh, you know, in case somebody gets hurt in the playoffs, in case somebody goes down with an injury or has to miss time, whatever, you know, kind of bolsters up that third line considering the Rangers have had some of their depth players injured this year. Sammy Blay is still on IR. Capo Caco is still on IR. Kevin Rooney is still on IR. So, 
you know, some guys that were bouncing up and around between the middle six, you know, the second and third line are, are out uh, and have been out for a significant period of time. So, um, and obviously for the Panthers, this was just to, to shed some salary cap in order for them to make some moves, which boy, howdy, have they been making moves. Uh, oh, yeah. I mean, we'll, we'll, we'll slap on over to this next deal here. Uh, the Florida Panthers on the same day, as trading away Frank Vetrano, uh, turned around and traded for defenseman Ben Sherratt from the Montreal Canadiens. Uh, ben Sherratt is a 30-year-old defenseman on the last year of a $3.5 million deal. Montreal retains half of his salary, so $1.75 million onto the books for the Panthers. And the Canadians get Ty Smilanak. Smil- I don't really have to say his name. I yeah, apologize. I don't either, to be um, honest. A fourth round pick, which is conditional, um, and a which was the Rangers pick. So Montreal gets whatever one is lower of the Rangers or the Jets pick, which at this point looks like it's going to be the Rangers pick. And a conditional first round pick, which is top 10 protected. In the event that the Panthers retain their 2022 first, they won't. They're not. That pick in no way, shape, or form is going to be a top 10 pick. <laughs> they will no oh, longer no. own their 2023 first round pick. So. Unless something astronomically stupid happens where the Panthers miss the playoffs and then win like the 2.5% lottery pick, uh, yeah, they traded away their first-round pick essentially for Ben Sherratt, um, who has not yet been signed to a... Or the, it's a Extension. 2023 uh, first-round pick. What? The Panthers' first-round pick in... 20, okay, so it's a 2022 first that's protected. Wait. Okay, that makes sense. No, okay, I think there's a typo on Cap Friendly. Sorry, guys, I'm just reading this. I think there's a typo. I believe it's a, the 2023 first that would then become a 2024 first if it was top 10. So there, I guess, you know, if the wheels completely fall off in Florida next season, they could transfer their 2024 first. But anyway. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, this trade came before the news of or before the events that transpired where Aaron Ekblad again had an awkward fall and had to leave a game. Uh, I'm going to really quickly look for an update on him, but while I look for that update, if there's anything, um, you know, do you have any, or what are your thoughts about this trade for uh, the Florida Panthers? Uh, if I could find Ben Sherratt, or I'm going to look for Aaron Ekblad here. Um, hold on, guys. Sorry, there's a very, very professional podcast here. I'm uh struggling to type in the name Aaron Eckblad. So it says, okay, so Aaron Eckblad was placed on LTIR and will not play again during the regular season. Uh, it says he should be able to return for the first round of the playoffs. So, uh, you know, obviously, the Panthers made this trade before this went down, but again, just another like super unfortunate incident for Aaron Eckblad. This similar thing happened last year, shortly around the trade deadline. He had that leg injury where he unfortunately was not able to come back at all, uh, even in the playoffs last year for the Florida Panthers. Whereas this year, it's saying you know that it looks like he is expected to return for the first round of the playoffs, uh, which I mean hopefully they do because they need a guy like that if they're going to compete in this atlantic division so it yeah like it, it it turns out to be obviously a really really good trade 
to kind of, not that Ben Sherrod is equivalent to Aaron Eckblad, obviously, but, you know, like, what do you make of this trade in light of the injury to Aaron Eckblad that came shortly after? I mean, I think the trade, it's just it's a fair trade. I don't think, I don't know if Florida's going to be able to hold on to Ben Sherrod, but it's definitely worth taking a shot on him in a rental capacity just because you always need to add depth specifically at the blue line when it comes to playoff time and now I mean you see why right Aaron Eckblad goes down with another awkward injury like you said and I don't know if he's going to necessarily eat and or replace Eckblad in a, any sort of comparable way in terms of ice time or anything in these games going forward but it'll definitely help them that they won't have to throw you know a like a rookie defenseman or somebody who's really out of their water or out of their weight class into his position on like the penalty kill or even like five on five if they have to. Yeah, certainly. And, uh, you know, another thing kind of taking into account here is he's the kind of defenseman that you really want in the playoffs. You know, he's kind of a hard-checking, defensive defenseman, does his job. You don't really got to worry too much about him when you throw him out there. He's been there, done that. I mean, he does, He brings 56 games of playoff experience to the table uh, for a Florida Panthers team, which has a mix of guys that do have some playoff experience and some guys that don't. Uh, and I think the defensive, if you specifically look at it from the defensive aspect, um you know, without Aaron Ekblad, the defense is Brandon Montour, Mackenzie Weger, Gustav Forsling, Radko Gudis, Robert Haig, and then Lucas Carlson and Pateri Lindbaum. That's not exactly terrible, but it's not really something you would expect to see of a Stanley Cup contending roster. Uh, but you add Ben Sherrod in there, and I think it, it looks a little bit better. And then specifically come playoff time, you add Aaron Ekblad back in there, and it looks really good. Uh, yeah, and then you're really set to go. And Florida's all in. I mean, Florida does not have a first-round pick for the next three years. They don't have their 2022 first. They don't have their 2023 first. And they don't have their 2024 first. So you kind of have to go all in, right, with the way they've been playing this year. They have almost no reason not to. And, you know, we'll stick on the Florida Panthers. We'll just run through their next two trades. They also traded for Robert Haig from the Buffalo Sabres for a sixth-round pick. And they traded the big one, obviously, that everyone knows, Claude Giroux. Uh, half of his salary was retained by the Philadelphia Flyers, so they traded for Claude Giroux, German Rubstov, Connor Bunneman, and a fifth-round pick for Owen Tippett, a third and 2024 first-round pick, which is conditional. And if that pick turns out to be a top-ten pick, uh, Philadelphia will instead receive the 2025 first-round pick. Um, so Florida, in short order... Traded away Frank Vitrano in order to acquire Ben Sherratt, acquire Robert Haig, and acquire Claude Giroux. Uh, obviously, the Claude Giroux trade is is a really big one, so let's really kind of dive into this. Uh, what do you think this does for this Florida Panthers team, bringing in a guy like Claude Giroux? I mean, I think it's a signal more than anything else, right, to the rest of the Atlantic Division that these guys are mean, are for real, or at least they think they are that they're looking to actually compete this year. And anytime you can add a forward who's got the track record and the pedigree of somebody like uh, 
Claude Giroux to a forward group that already includes uh, Alexander Barkov, Jonathan Huberdeau, guys like that. I mean, it can only be a good thing. Yeah. And, <clears throat> whoa, almost just had a weird moment there. Um, you know, and Claude Giroux brings 85 games of playoff experience. He's been there, done that. The only thing he hasn't done is won a Stanley Cup. I mean, he went all the way to the Stanley Cup Finals with them in 2010 uh, before ultimately losing to the Chicago Blackhawks. Uh, 73 points in 85 playoff games. 900 points in 1,000 regular season games. Absolutely nothing to sneeze at in either one of those. And he brings veterancy. He brings leadership. He was the captain of the Philadelphia Flyers for how long? a lot of years and i mean this forward group is like ridiculously stacked at this point you know you have claude Giroux, sam reinhardt barkoff huberto sam bennett uh patrick hornquist anthony duclair and then you have your depth guys like you know nola chari carter verhage uh anton lundell even like joe thornton is still playing in florida like <laughs> he's still producing at a pretty like not like significant clip but i mean like he's not a problem for them you know even at 44 years old and so i guess to the other side of the equation uh you know is it over in philadelphia is this kind of the the signal that this is the death knell and we're ready to i guess rebuild again even though they just finished rebuilding not that long ago (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it, if nothing else, it's the end of the it's it's the end of that early 2010s team, right? Because like Voracek and uh, Giroux were like the last two guys remaining from that team that went to that 2010 final. Actually, I don't even know if Voracek was there for that, but it's just but I mean, you know, when you take a look at this team, they do have some guys that. You know they're they're stuck with Ryan Ellis, you know, <laughs> for until twenty twenty six, twenty twenty seven. He's already thirty one. Couturier next year is in the first year of his contract extension. Uh, Scott Lawton is under contract until twenty twenty six. Rasmus Ristolainen, they just you know they they signed a contract extension with him five you know until twenty twenty six, twenty twenty seven. Joel Farabee's on the team until twenty twenty seven, twenty twenty eight. I mean Farabee's young, he's only twenty two, but. You know, GVR is 32, Atkinson 32. This team is in a very awkward spot, isn't it? Where we have, like, a lot of 27 to 28-year-olds who should be playing meaningful hockey, but they're We're not. Kind of just stuck now. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Yeah, they are kind of stuck, but I think in the coming years, some of those contracts aren't so bad that they can't be moved. But, I mean, it really felt like this year... Philly was trying to, based on all the moves they made in the po- the preseason or the off season into the preseason, were really signifying that they wanted to compete in a big way in the uh, Metro, and you know the the wheels kind of fell off on that this year. So yeah, they're kind of stuck in a weird. They're gonna be in a weird spot where I think they're gonna be too good, too good to get like top five picks, but not bad enough. To, they're not good enough to get into the playoffs, you know at least for the next couple of years, because it's not like they have bad players on the team. Like, they just have, I don't know. I don't know what's wrong in Philly, honestly, but, like, on paper, it's not a bad team. It's going to be weird, you know, to your point, 
do you, like do you think is is it apt to kind of say that they're just like now the new age minnesota wild or not even well new age but like they're now the the next minnesota wild where like, i would say so where they're kind of stuck in between they're just like stuck in neutral <laughs> yeah i think and they will be for the next couple of years too unfortunately for flyers fans so what do you make of the value on this on this trade on the Claude Giroux trade? I mean, they got to get Owen Tippett's a big get for them. I mean, it only adds to an already pretty significant forward group they have of young forwards, including guys like Bobby Brink and uh, or young players in general, I guess, because Bobby Brink, Morgan Frost, guys like that. Um, but I think what it means more significantly for, I guess, value wise, yeah. What was it, two first-round picks or just the one? I don't know why I'm asking. I can just look at it. Uh, it was Tippett, a third, and a first. Yeah, so, I mean, that's pretty much fair value from what what I would think, honestly. The 50% retain, I think, is the big piece, and I think that's why it ended up only being a first and a third instead of, like, a first and a second, which you probably would have seen if Florida didn't need them to hold on to some of his salary. Do you think so? You know, we talk about Ben Sherratt, right? And I'm going to be honest with you. The first round pick for Ben Sherratt, I think, is going to really heavily come down to whether or not he signs. Um, a lot of GMs nowadays are really, really hesitant to throw a first round pick at a rental player. Um, it's not something that you really typically see like obviously when it comes to a player like of the caliber of Claude Giroux you're not going to get him without a first round pick involved right like <laughs> I mean in recent years I would say more so than in the past I think the draft has become such a significant portion of general managers like projections for the next couple of years that like they try to hold on to as many of their draft picks as they can um but I don't think you can really get away with not offering up a first round pick this year specifically when I mean Tampa kind of set the market they kind of rang the bell like on Wall Street for everybody and set the price at two first round picks for rentals or not a rental but two first round picks for players with contracts so rentals are still going to be fetching a pretty high price you know yeah I mean like I said you know you're not going to get Claude Giroux without a first like Philadelphia would have had to have been smoking something really strong to trade away Claude Drew without getting a first-round pick back, right? Yeah, at least one. Even though it's top 10 protected, you know, you you, you, you get a first-round pick out of Claude Drew. And I think that Claude Drew, if Florida has the money for him, I don't really see a reason for him not to sign in Florida because they're one of the best teams in the NHL. They're clearly in a compete now, win now mode. And Claude Giroux is 34. He's not getting any younger. Uh, you know, it's always that big question of how many more years at a high level do these players have left? And for Claude Giroux, you know, having never won that Stanley Cup, now is the time. You know, he really kind of even got a little bit of a late start on cup chasing, but. That was also because Philadelphia was in this weird mode where, like, they were actually kind of good for a couple of years, and, like, then they weren't, and then, you know, so. Yeah, they went from getting a 
number two overall draft pick to being in the playoffs. It was a weird time in Philly, honestly. So, yeah, the time to chase the Stanley Cup for Claude Giroux and for Ben Chirot, you know, Ben Chirot is 30 years old, is now. Uh, I think if Florida can swing it, I don't really know what their cap situation is off the top of my head. If they can swing it and keep both of them, I think they should look into that. Uh, But it's always a question of, can you really do that? You know, who really knows? Like, Claude Giroux is probably, you know, is he going to ask for another $8 million deal? Maybe. He might also take a discount. If he thinks he can win a Stanley Cup with the Florida Panthers, he might take, like, a $6 million deal, you know? If, yeah. If that's really what true. his mindset is at this point. Um, ben Sherratt's a little bit of a different question because Ben Sherratt's still 30, so he's a little bit younger, so he's still in kind of, like, his money-making phase, you know? Um, yeah. I guess the I mean, ultimate question is, you know, are the Florida Panthers now officially the team to beat in terms of Stanley Cup contenders? Uh, I don't know if I'd go that far yet when the Tampa Bay Lightning still have a pretty pretty much intact roster. Or Yeah, I said Tampa Bay, right? I didn't say that weird. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So when the Tampa Bay Lightning have a pretty much intact roster, I don't think... They, uh, they're the team to beat just yet. I mean, I think there's a title you have to earn, right? But it definitely puts them at the front of the conversation for the at least the t- uh, contender, right? Like, it's not a question mark of, like, is this team trying to compete or not? It's like, no, 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 We're, like, we're in this race. We're trying to win a Stanley Cup now. I, I think this seals the deal on like their position in terms of a tier listing. I mean, I, in my mind, this makes them an absolute bona fide Stanley Cup contender. I, And it's not just because they're adding all these significant players. It's it's really just because I don't really look at this roster and see a significant hole anywhere. I mean, the goal The only significant hole is caused by injury. Yeah, exactly. Like Aaron Eckblad going down obviously is, a, is an issue, but, you know, he could also be back for the playoffs is what they're saying, right? So... Um, you know, the goaltending is fantastic. If Ekblad is healthy, and then you add Ekblad and Sherratt to that defense, I mean, Ekblad, Sherratt, Montour, Uyghur, Forsling, Gudis, and Hag as your seven. Pretty good. <laughs> Pretty good. And we already talked about the forwards. The centers are great. The depth is great. They have the X-Factors with the grit. You know, Sam Bennett. Who, Sam Bennett's like, a playoff performer, man. He lives for that. Yeah, like this guy just gets like the the calendar flips to playoff season, and he just like is a whole other animal. Uh, you know, they have the depth, the grit, the veteran leadership from guys like Joe Thornton and now Claude Giroux. I mean, I, just... I mean, Jumbo's been there, done that, right? Like he brings that at least a thousand games of regular season of experience, and how many deep playoff runs did he go on, right? Uh, he brings a hundred and eighty six games of playoff experience, so. There you go. I I think that, you know, there's really no holes on this roster. Um, but, you know, let's talk about that other team in Florida that you mentioned because the Tampa Lightning also aren't sitting around doing nothing. Uh, they acquired Brandon Hagel uh, as well as two fourth-round picks from the Chicago Blackhawks in return for Taylor Radish, Boris Kachuk, a 2023 first and 2024 first, both of which are top 10 protected. Uh, Brenna Hagel, 23-year-old, on the first year of a three-year, $1.5 million deal. 
I know we've talked about this a little bit amongst our, our friend group. Uh, what do you think about the value on this one? Um, I mean, I think Tampa definitely overpaid a little here. Um, two first-round picks. I know he's under contract for another, what, two years? Mm-hmm. But, uh, see, I'm always iffy on buying high on guys who, what's it called, uh, who are pretty much only in their breakout year right now, right? Like, he isn't proven to do this again, so I'm a little weary of giving up two first-round picks to get him. But, I mean, to add a guy who's projected, who's looking like a consistent 20-goal scorer is never a bad thing, especially when your chief rival in your division's also in the middle of an arms race and adding big pieces. <laughs> yeah, it's... It is a lot. It, it definitely is a lot. I mean, you know, Brandon Hagel, for what it's worth, uh, you know, this is really only his second full season in the National Hockey League. I mean, he had one. He played one game for the Blackhawks in 2019 and 2020. He played 52 games last year, nine goals, 15 assists, 24 points. This is his first real, like, second real, like, full campaign. You know, he scored 21 goals, 16 assists, 37 points. Uh, I, I'm just a little weary on it uh if nothing else because and you know how we feel about like advanced stats and fancy stuff but when you look at like a lot of brandon hagel's advanced stats he's been one of the more fortunate players in the nhl uh in terms of the goals that are are crossing that goal line for him i mean i think we saw his shooting percentage was like 27 percent or something like absolutely ridiculous like that and i mean not for nothing and i'm not trying to take anything from the guy here but you are riding shotgun with patrick kane and alex to bring two of the best players in the league you know so i mean not to say the tampa bay can't just go oh he works really well playing with superstar players copy paste put him right in between like (laughs) kucherov and stamkos but Two first round picks for a guy who realistically is only benefiting from like a like a what do I say? Like I don't know how to I don't know the right word for it, right? But a situation like an advantageous position, I guess, right? Like he's been put in a fortunate position to be playing with superstars. So like I don't know if I'd pay two first round picks for a guy who's only good gonna be able to effective playing with superstars, you know? Yeah, I mean, he's shooting at 22% this year, which is astronomical. Uh, and, you know, there there is some other kind of things to take into account. You know, he's under contract for three years, and when that contract is up, he's still going to be a restricted free agent. You know, he's only 23. So the Lightning are going to have negotiating rights with him. But, I mean... Man, two first-round picks is it's a lot. I mean, the Tampa Bay Lightning, sure, to them it doesn't mean anything because they're in win-now mode, and when you have a team as good as the Tampa Bay Lightning, obviously you're not thinking about your first-round picks. You really don't care, especially when you're in the good graces to have a lot of your team like relatively young. You know, Vasilevsky's 27, uh, Victor Hedman's only 31, Braden Point's 26. You know, a lot of like your better players are 
still young. Kucherov's only 28. So, like, you realistically could try to ride this out for the next five to seven years, right? Um, so those yeah, first-round I mean, picks don't matter. But on paper, it's a lot. <laughs> it really is, in my opinion. Uh, I don't know. I, not to take anything away from Brandon Hagel, but when you can get Claude Giroux's 85 games of playoff experience versus Brandon Hagel's 109 career games, period, point blank, and thirty of his, twenty-one of his thirty career goals have come in this season. Like, if he ultimately ends up being just a third liner, uh, traded two first-round picks for a third liner, like, uh, you know, I don't know. I mean, granted, they're probably going to be later first-round picks, so right. Say what you will about that, but the reality is, like, a first-round pick's a first-round pick. Like, you don't you don't want to pay two first round picks for a third liner when you could have just drafted that third liner with those third round pick, those first round picks. You know what I mean? Like it's a, just a poor use of draft capital at that point almost. Yeah. And I mean, the other thing about it too is those first round picks are how you turn a five-year window into a seven to 10 year window, you know, drafting young players while you're still competing, who then come up and replace older players who maybe get either too old or too expensive, is how you turn a short-lived sunburst into a longer-lived, efficient, you know, playoff machine. Like, look at the Pittsburgh Penguins, right? With In the Sidney Crosby era, winning in the early or the later part of the 2000s and then also winning in the mid to late part of the 2010s because they had guys like Jake Gensel who were coming up and... Uh, I forget uh, the defenseman whose name is escaping me right now, uh, but Matt Murray. Brian Dumoulin. Yes, Brian Dumoulin, thank you. Um, you know, guys like Matt Murray and stuff like that, like, you know, you can sustain yourself off of these things. You know, like I said, the the, pan- the Lightning are in a position where luckily a lot of their players are still pretty young, but in a vacuum, this trade is, a very, is very much an overpay, and even in context, I still think it's a little bit of an overpay because... I don't really think the Lightning had like a bunch of a depth problem, in my opinion. I mean, it certainly helps, but I think like having third liners like Ross Colton, Corey Perry, Pierre Edward, Belmer, Patrick Maroon, Matthew Joseph, like, I don't know. It seems pretty good to me. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and so the Rangers played Tampa Bay last night, right? Yes. And it happened to, uh, what's it called? He happened to be playing, right? It was his first game. And I'm not trying to pass judgment. Like, it was only one his first game. He didn't freaking score a hat-trick, right? But, like, <laughs> for what it's worth, like, he was stashed on the third line. And it's like, do you you paid two first-round picks to stick this guy in your middle six instead of, like, in your top six? At least, like, the Rangers traded for Frank, Frank for Toronto, and they're giving him a shot, riding shotgun with Stroman and Panarin, you know? It's like, hey, we, we went out and got him. We might as well see what he can do because he can't be any worse than what, you know, Dryden Hunt or julian gucci are offering up there and you only paid for a fourth round pick <laughs> right exactly like it's just i don't know like it just seems like kind of like a trade for the sake of making a trade i realistically would have liked to have seen tampa probably make a move for a defender before a forward like another depth forward because i don't think i mean their defense seems to be a little weaker in you know this year than it has in years past but i don't know it never hurts to add depth, but two first-round picks is a lot, man. A lot, a lot. Yeah, it's... 
I think this is partly a knee-jerk reaction to... Because this trade happened uh, before the Claude Giroux trade, but... Officially, technically, yeah. Yeah, but, like, we knew that... Basically, Claude Giroux had been a Florida Panther for, like, three days at that point. Uh, Claude Giroux played his, what, his thousandth game in Philly, and, like, literally, like, as he hung his skate-ups in that locker room that night, they had pretty much announced the trade in, in most of its details. Yeah, he played his thousandth game and then peaced out, like, real quick. <laughs> I mean, from what I understand, like like we always say, right, these big deals for players like Claude Giroux don't come together over, like, one day, right? Yeah. So the fact that, like, it pretty much was all said and done after his thousandth game leads me to believe the conversation between the Flyers and the Panthers essentially boiled down to, listen, if we can get this done right now, like, with a significant amount of time before his thousandth game will do it, but if he's creeping up on a thousand, he's playing one thousand with us, and then we'll trade him. Because it's kind of just the right thing to do, you know what I mean? Like, he's been right. here 13 or 15 years or whatever they said it was. Like, he's earned the right to play his 1,000th game here and then get traded, you know? And for what it's worth, Claude Giroux also had a say in that, right? Because he has a no-move clause. So if he really wanted to, he could have refused to waive his no-move clause until his 1,000th game and then done it. <laughs> so... So what's interesting about that is, from what I understand, he pretty much said there were four teams in the mix from what I read, and it was the Rangers, Boston, and then Colorado and Florida. And from what I understand, he pretty much said no to New York and Boston. I was like, no, 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 I, I want to go to Florida or Colorado, which I think is interesting. Not necessarily surprising, but definitely a little interesting, because I think a lot of those teams are, or most of those teams are in similar situations. Um, I would say... Probably the reason he said no to the Rangers in Boston, if we ignore like any rivalry aspects of that, it's just because. No offense to the Boston Bruins and the New York Rangers, it's just that like Florida and Colorado are kind of well, specifically Florida. Colorado, I have mixed mixed opinions on, but like Florida is like in that bona fide Stanley Cup contender margin where I oh, think yeah, Boston no, I know and the why Rangers you did it. like fit into more of like a. Like a bubble, like they have an outside shot at it if they get lucky. Yeah, and like, honestly, if he was like 30 years old and the Rangers were still as good as they were, he probably would have came to the Rangers because like they're only getting better every year. But since he's already 34, it's like, listen, I, I maybe got like three or four years left. Like, like I got I to gotta get while well, getting's good, you know? Yeah. <laughs> like, while I still have a shot at this as like a... As like player. an actual player, yeah, and not just doing the, like cup chasing at like, you know, forty something years old, like Marty Brodeur was, where you're like, like a shell of yourself. Yeah, you know, um, I think that this is a great trade for both sides. The Flyers get to move on uh, from a beloved son, but get value out of him in return. Uh, give their, you know, give their beloved son a chance to win, which he doesn't have in Philadelphia. It's a win-win in terms of that situation. They get good value out of it. Owen Tippett in a first, um, you know, able to make some other smaller moves like Robert Haig for a sixth. I think Florida's loading up. I think Flyers are in a good spot in terms of if they are committing to this rebuild, this is a really solid first trade uh, in that regard. Um, well, I mean, to walk away with, like, a essentially a blue-chip prospect and a first-round pick. Can't, doesn't get much better than that. Yeah, and I mean, you could be worse, right? You could be the Tampa Bay Lightning who paid two first-round picks for Brennan Hagel, but uh, I don't know. I also want to say that that trade's like a really that's really that was a really smart trade on Chicago's part, just to realize that they have somebody and that the the market's there, 
and to really look at it realistically and say the market is never going to be better than it is right now. We have to do this. You know what I mean? Like, because there was a little bit of controversy with the Brandon Hagel trade in the Chicago locker room specifically. Like, did you see what Jonathan Taves was saying afterwards? Oh, he's like, oh, if he's not part of the rebuild, then who is? It's like, it's like, bro, do you have to put your foot in your mouth every time management does something? Like, I don't understand why you consistently are <laughs> st- like sticking your thumb in the eye of the dude that's signing your check. Like, can you for once just be a good captain and just say the team's going like in this direction? So like, like he's like to even say things like I'm not informed. It's like okay, yeah, you, I, I understand you. You kind of earned the right to be informed, but you're not always going to be informed as these things come together. Like the Brandon Hagel trade was a was a bidding war between like three or four teams from what I understand too. So like the fact that Tampa probably and anti Dublin was like, well, we're going for two first round picks, like you jump on that the second they offer it. Right, so, yeah. <laughs> like if you're not gonna be in the loop, you know, like and if you didn't think Brandon Hagel was gonna get traded after weeks of all these rumors, then like I don't know, like what header like what sand are you burying your head in? Also like, like not for nothing, you know, if you're admitting that the rebuild is on isn't getting two first round picks out of a guy who I'm not going to sit here and say he's a one year wonder because he's only played three years or two years. We don't really know. Like he could very well turn into a 30 goal scorer, right? Or he could be a Matt Molson, right? Matt Molson had like six 30 goal seasons with the New York Islanders or, something, or six like 20 goal seasons with the New York Islanders or something like that because he was playing with John Tavares, right? P.A. Parento, same situation. P.A. Parento had like three back-to-back-to-back 60-point seasons because he's playing John Tavares. Both those players end up leaving, and their careers fizzled out pretty shortly after. Wouldn't you like, same thing. Right, like, wouldn't you want to get... Like, if you're Jonathan Taze and you're like, well, we're going to rebuild, isn't getting two first-round picks for a guy who potentially could never again hit 20 goals pretty freaking good? I mean, it's... Right, and, like, even if you look at it, like, mathematically, right, like, later first-round picks tend to only hit at, like, 50%. I mean, shit, dude, you just got two 50-50 shots at a player who's, if not as good, better, as good, if or if not better than the guy you just traded away. Like, yeah. And you also have, you also just acquired two assets you can use to leverage to go out and acquire a bigger player, right? You could go to somebody like, I don't know, say for some reason, call it, like, Arizona's, like, Clayton Keller's shit work trading him. Boo. Like, you can make the call now because you have three first round picks. You can be like, hey, do you want to make a deal for this? We have first round picks for days and they're not even ours, so we can trade them. We don't care. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, you know, look, Boris Kachuk and Taylor Radish, they're 23 years old, 24 years old, respectively. They're nothing special from what we understand, but even a guy like that, next year's trade deadline, right? Somebody needs depth apparently the asking price for you know third line players you know Brennan Hagel notwithstanding uh generally we see like depth players going for seconds and thirds around this time of year uh maybe a first if there's an outstanding offer on the table but you take Taylor Radish and Boris Kachuk maybe you flip them next year at the trade deadline you end up getting two third round picks out of them now you just traded Brandon Hagel for two firsts and two thirds exactly and it only costs you two fourth-round picks and a player who wasn't in your long-term plan anyway. Yeah, so I think this is good for the Blackhawks. I think if this is signaling something to us in terms of like, hey, uh, I think actually, honestly, I don't even think it's that deep. I genuinely think, like what you said earlier, that 
the Tampa Bay Lightning came at them with two first round picks, and they were like, "All right, well, I can't not do this, right?" Like, like I'll, I'll get fired if I say no to this, right? <laughs> like, unless like this kid turns out to be like Connor McDavid, like there's no way I'm saying no to first two first round picks. Like Claude Drew didn't even get two first round picks. I, it, you know, and our next trade, you know, also didn't get two first round picks. And it's for a player who I think is is criminally, criminally underrated. Uh, you know, Hampus Lindholm and Cody Curran go to the Boston Bruins, and then Hampus Lindholm immediately turns around and signs an eight-year, six-and-a-half-million-dollar contract extension. Lindholm is a 28-year-old defenseman. Uh, on He was on the last year of a contract. For John Moore, Erho Vakaninen, a first and two seconds. Uh so it looks even better kind of in context when it's like, oh, Hampus Lindholm, one of like the top-rated defensive defensemen in the NHL. You get a blue chipper in back of nine in a first and two seconds as opposed to the Lightning who are shelling out two firsts for a 23-year-old who like... May or may not ever do this again. <laughs> like who's literally just lightning in a bottle right now. Like like you said, 23% shooting percentage is ridiculous. Yeah. Like, Austin Matthews isn't even shooting at like twenty three percent. Like, so Boston also loading up Hampus Lindholm. I'm kind of, I'm only disappointed that Lindholm is going to the Bruins in one sense. In that, you know, he's not uh, he's not a right hand defenseman like the New York Rangers are looking for. I thought Hampus Lindholm would have been an absolute banger deal for the New York Rangers. I, obviously, I don't really know if they were in the market to be trading away the kind of assets that the Bruins had to shell out. I would assume the answer is no, but I i mean, I'm happy for Ampus Lindholm because, I mean, I don't know about you. I don't know what you think about him. I think he's like one of the most criminally underrated defensemen in the entire National Hockey League. In my opinion, he's basically at the Adam Pellick of the Western Conference. Like this guy that is as good as they come on defense and nobody cares. <laughs> I mean, I think the whole Anaheim Ducks defense for the last so many years has been pretty underrated i think like that whole core that whole core group they have is really good and like i'm glad to see a lot of them are getting a chance to go compete now like josh manson and uh ampas lindholm i don't know why i just forgot his name we were just talking about him but uh yeah i mean this is a good get for the bruins right the team that's been looking for help on the blue line for the last couple of years they finally get what essentially is like a blue chipper out there like this was a big fish you know and he's pretty much your typical Boston Bruins defenseman, right? He's he's not overly big, but he's six three. He's two hundred and eight pounds. Like he's no shrinking violet, right? He's a sturdy, sturdy guy. He's reliable in his own zone. He's as like I said, I think he's so underrated. I think he's one of the best defensive defensemen in the entire NHL. Um, and you're able to lock him up for eight years at six and a half million dollars. He's only twenty eight. Um, do the Bruins have another eight years of competitive viability in them? Maybe, maybe not. I would wager more on the no side. But, you know, the Ducks also get a really, really nice package out of this too. John Moore, who, you know, he's 31. He's most likely going to be trade bait at next year's trade deadline, um, considering he'll be a UFA uh, in 2024. So he's under contract for this year and next year. He'll probably be trade bait next year. Um, flip him for maybe like a second or a third, but uh, Erho Vakaninen is a 23-year-old, six foot, one hundred eighty-five pound defenseman from 
Finland. He's been a pretty highly touted prospect for the Boston Bruins for a while. Um, has been playing in their roster this year, hasn't he? He yeah, he's got 15 games this year with them. Like he's been bouncing between development leagues and the Bruins, but for a 23 year old, that's nothing you know out of the ordinary. Especially a defenseman. Yeah, exactly. Um, I think this is a great trade for the Boston Bru- or for both teams. Really, what do, what do you think about the value wise going back between both teams? I mean, this is just like a good old fashioned hockey trade, right? Like, I think it's fair value. I don't think either team really fleeced the other one. I think everyone everyone walks away with from this uh, pretty much addressing the needs that they need they felt they needed to. I mean, I think I'm surprised it cost. It was the eh, the asking price was seemingly so little when especially when they saw you know two first round picks flying around and <laughs> everything involved with the Claude Giroux trade but I mean I'm if I'm at Anaheim I'm happy with the trade and if I'm Boston I'm ecstatic I mean like this is exactly what they needed I mean he's the perfect guy to eat like to eat those big matchup minutes big penalty killing minutes and he's like built for the playoffs right like a big stay-at-home defenseman exactly what the boston bruins need for the playoffs does this move the needle on the bruins at all from what they were before this trade in your opinion i don't think so because i still think there's some depth issues they need to address up front but it definitely pushes them a little closer it may pushes them maybe a little closer to the edge of like that bubble and into like the actual, you know, contender window. Yeah, I think I'm in the same boat. I think that the Bruins remain, in my opinion, a bubble Stanley Cup contender just in terms of like there are some holes that need to be addressed and there are some pieces that quite frankly just need to be better. <laughs> uh but I think this is definitely a significant ad, and it's something that they uh, they definitely wanted to get done. And they, boy, how did they got it done? Um, Here's the real question for you, though: Do you yeah. think that because they went out and got him, that they're out on Jacob Chikrin now? I would assume so, especially after that contract extension. Yeah. Uh, just because, you know, Jacob Chikrin is not gonna come cheap. Like, oh no, not in the <laughs> least. And the Boston Bruins at this point, uh, I don't think they have the capital uh, that you would need because they don't have a first for this year. They do have their first for next year and the year after. Uh, they still have their second for this year, but they don't have a second for the year after. So, out of, you know, for the next three years, out of the six potential picks in the first two rounds, they only have half of them left. Um, I don't know that they really have any other prospects that would come up in a trade like that. Uh, from what I understand, most of their chips are on the table right now. So, <laughs> yeah. And, you know, like we said, Jacob Chikrin is 23 years old. Yeah, he's going to be a big get. Like, that's going to be a big package that has to go that way to get him. And he's only making four point six million dollars for this year and the next three years after that. Yeah, just like almost criminal. It's it's gonna take some serious leverage to get him, and I just don't think the Bruins 
physically have any <laughs> enough Assets left. left. <laughs> yeah, I don't think so either. Um, I guess we'll we'll stay on the defensive trade. There are some other smaller trades in the mix. Uh, yeah, just mention them very quickly. Travis Hammond it goes to the Senators for a third round pick. I think this is just the Senators kind of wanting to add some veterancy to their uh, blue line. Maybe helps develop some of the younger guys. Um, and this is also Vancouver saying like, well, well, we don't really have a need for Travis Hammond. We're not making a playoffs here this year. Um, LA acquires Troy Stetcher from the Detroit Red Wings. Just defensive depth. LA's been in on some other trades. From what we understand, they're trying to load up for the playoffs. Uh, Nick Delorier goes to the Wild from the Anaheim Ducks for a third round pick. And Travis Dermott goes to the Canucks from the Leafs for a third round pick. And so like the last big trade we'll talk about today. Uh, Mark Giordano. Yes, the inaugural captain of the Seattle Kraken. Is already <laughs> I don't know. I gotta I gotta be honest. I don't know why they named him captain when like this was so obviously gonna happen, but regardless. I don't know why any expansion team would name a captain in like their early years. It's like you don't even know what this team's gonna look like in a year or two from now. Uh yeah. I mean didn't wasn't Max Petretti only named a captain of like the Knights like a year or two ago? He's not even the captain. Or he's not Mark even, Stone yeah. is. Mark Stone. Yeah. So yeah, he only got it after being there a year or two. Yeah, they didn't name he was the first captain in franchise history, I'm pretty sure. So Mark Giordano uh goes to the Toronto Maple Leafs. Mark Giordano, along with Colin Blackwell. Giordano is a thirty eight year old defenseman in the last year of a six point seven five million dollar contract. The Kraken retain half of his salary, and they also get a second-round pick for this year, a second-round pick for next year, and a third-round pick from the Toronto Maple Leafs. I have a lot of opinions on this trade, uh, but I want to hear yours first. Well, um, I mean, if we're going to start, we got to say the big get is obviously Colin Blackwell, right? Like <laughs> This answers all the questions the Maple Leafs, the Maple Leafs needed, right? But no, seriously, this is just like a, this. This one has my head scratching my head because like the Leafs have been linked to Jordan over the last couple of days, and I was just like, what? Why? I mean, it's not like Jordano's a bad player, right? He's not like a. It's not like you're adding an albatross or anything, but it doesn't really answer a lot of the questions that like need to be answered about this Leafs team. Like, can they defend or can they keep the puck out of their net? I guess the answer lately is no. To both questions <laughs> and this doesn't help at all period i mean the guy's literally a power play quarterback like it's been his whole career right like he's been a power play specialist you know not for nothing he's never been that amazing of a defender uh and his plus minus has always kind of reflected that. Um, sure, the Calgary Flames weren't so good in, in some of these years, so you'll excuse his plus minus and some of that. But even some of the years that they were pretty okay, you know, 2019-2020, uh, when they went to the playoffs, he was only a plus two that year. Oh, he was a plus 39 the year. He put up 74 points, but that's just because he was on the ice for so many goddamn points for. Uh, you know, and that's not taking anything away from him. He's a great, solid offensive defenseman, but offense is not the problem in toronto in fact it's the least of your problems right now because your goaltending situation is actually dissolving before your very eyes 
Like, <laughs> you're literally watching Jack Campbell, who in his last 10 games has let in more than four goals, I think like six times or something like that. You're watching him fall apart of the seams. Then he gets hurt, and they and the Maple Leafs waved Peter Morazic today. So what's what is your plan? Are you because Eric Callagrin came in and put up a shutout in his first game and then won his second start? All of a sudden, we're just gonna pretend that our goaltending problems have been solved and everything is peachy keen. Dory, and, yeah. Rose Red. I mean, in his last five games, Peter Mrazek has led it, or Jack Campbell's led in four, five, five, four, five. He hasn't had a save percentage over 867 in five games. And this is what we're worried about? Yeah, bro, we got to score more goals. <laughs> My brain, like. Kyle, Kyle Dubas is playing just like eighth dimensional chess with us right now. Like, watch. But in reality, he's like actually just playing checkers. Really, what Kyle Dubas is doing is he moved his pawn as far as he could get it, and then he's now attacking with his king. <laughs> like pretty much. I don't, I don't get it, dude. For all of these players that have been traded, right? These defensive defensemen, these depth players, because the Toronto Maple Leafs actually kind of have a depth issue, right? These defensive defensemen, these depth players, these answers to problems you know not for nothing josh manson we didn't talk about that trade but he's a solid defensive defenseman he only went for drew hellison and a second round pick you know the last trade the toronto maple leafs made was for carter hutton and he's playing in the minors ah my brain i don't I can't make heads or tails of this, and then not for nothing, the value going back to the way is horrendous. I mean, you paid two seconds and a third for one year of Mark Giordano. Sounds fair to me, bro. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Like, wouldn't you rather pay Drew Hellison on a second for Josh Manson? I I mean, I would. But apparently I'm not, like attuned to this like genius level thinking of <laughs> kyle dubas like I, I my brain is just too small like i just can't i'm just i just can't handle it bro he's blowing my mind for god's sakes just trade for travis hamannick then i mean ben call if you're so hell-bent on overpaying for somebody <laughs> just call montreal and overpay for ben Sherratt. like what the hell like <laughs> if you are so hell-bent on making a big trade they go out there and flex your muscles like don't be like yeah we got mark giordano because everyone's like gonna clown you because it's like wow you went out and got the one guy you didn't need i mean especially when mark andre Fleury is being like i don't know gift like, they're essentially giving it to teams with a gift wrap on it. like please take him we need value out of this we fucked up and toronto's like both my goaltenders aren't playing well we got a rookie that's playing semi-okay right now yeah, we're going to take Mark Giordano, fuck Mark andre Fleury. I mean, you know, there's other names on the board. Uh, Calvin DeHaan is on the board. Brett Kulak, Andy Green, you know, some solid defensive defenseman there. If you're so, if you really want to pay for an over, like an over-the-hill defenseman, bro, Zanino Charo is probably like cheap as shit, like, <laughs> you know? 
Yeah, I mean, he wouldn't solve their problems anyway, but that's maybe no, maybe but, they don't know that. I mean, listen, like, if they're going out there <laughs> trading for Mark Giordano, then clearly, like, solving their problems is the least of their worries. I mean, Andy Green, solid. He's old, but he's solid, and you probably really don't have to pay, like, a third. Like, Yeah, see, but that would make too much sense. You know, and, and look, granted, I don't really know what the goaltending trade situation is outside of Marc-Andre Fleury, but, like, then just go get Marc-Andre Fleury. Like, it literally cannot get any worse than it is right now because Jack Campbell has gone from brick wall to tissue paper in a matter of a month. Peter Morazic was basically AFK from the start. You never connected to the server. And... Then you wave him, which it's like, oh. Well, now you're stuck with that contract, because guess what, Buttercup? He's still under contract for two more years. And then you look at Freddie Anderson, who's just, like, thriving in <laughs> fucking... In Carolina. In Carolina, and you're like, huh, he really wasn't the problem. It's like, yeah, no, he really wasn't the problem. I told you that last year. I don't know why he went out and got Peter Morazic. You want to hear something that's going to make you even angrier? Because it made me, like, irrationally angry to the point where, like, I needed to walk away for a second. <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, the Edmonton Oilers are also apparently completely out of the goaltending market at this point. And it's like... Really? Bruh, like, please, just... I guarantee you, Chicago will retain half of Marc Andre Fleury's salary, and you only have to pay them like a third round pick. I mean, they're desperately trying to dump to get rid of him, not even like for the contract reasons. They're trying to dump him because they need to get value out of that because they they went out and traded for him. So now Chicago's like, oh god, we actually have to get any value we can out of this. So like, I don't know why teams aren't taking advantage of it. The only team that seems to be so far linked to it is Vegas, and it's like, bro, what are you doing? Like, the only you... reason Vegas makes sense is if Robin Leonard's injury is season ending. Yeah, but even still, it's like, why, why? That's like slapping your girlfriend in the face and breaking up with her and then calling her a week later being like, yo, what's up? <laughs> like, they're, like, you drove him out of town. He did nothing but, like, leave his blood, sweat, and tears on the ice for you, and then you spit in his face. Why? Why would he want to come back? Like, it's almost disrespectful even calling Chicago to see if he, because he has a no trade clause. So it's even it's disrespectful even to like see if he's remotely interested in coming back to Vegas. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's like I wouldn't. <laughs> I mean, there's just like like you're telling me that. You know, you, you haven't kicked tires on, like, any of the other goalies that are floating around in the market that you are you have to go back to Marc-Andre Fleury, who you ran out of town. Like, you haven't talked to, like, the Vancouver Canucks about, I don't know, Yaroslav Halak, who's on a one-year deal, or, like, Detroit. You haven't talked to them about, like, Thomas Grice, who's on a one-year deal. Uh, you know, hell, if you're going to pay two second and two thirds, why at that point not see if you could just overpay the Rangers for Alexander Georgiev? Who I don't think they would trade him anyway, but you could still at least ask. I mean, yeah, at least kick the tires on it. Like, Semyon Varlamov has been 
rumored to have been on the market for a little bit. He has a modified no trade clause. He wouldn't waive his no trade clause to go to Edmonton. That was reported, so like they were out on him, obviously. But I mean, there's just so many other options that you can do to improve your team. There are veteran defensive defensemen on the trade block, like Andy Green, Daniel Chara. Clearly, you know some of these other players, Calvin DeHaan are on the trade block. There are some other veteran goalies that are realistically, yes, you don't really trade for goalies midseason, but like trading for a goalie of their caliber is not going to be something crazy. I mean, you can't tell me that like this was the best you could do. If this is the best you can do, and I'm talking to Kyle Dubas, and I'm also talking to Ken Holland at this point. After the offseason we had, with how many goalies were available last offseason, with how many goalies were moving around last offseason, if this is the best you can do, you should be fired, like, immediately. Like, not even before the season ends, not even, like, in the offseason. Like, right now. When you called the ownership and said, hey, guys, just traded for Mark Giordano, boom, second and two-thirds, they should have, they should have had a old school style like paper boy, like paper, paper, buy your paper for a nickel, like sprinting into your office with just a big pink slip on it that says "Get the fuck out." Like, yeah, I mean, God, and then to go out and be like, "Yeah, we're not, we're not in the goalie market either." Like... <laughs> what is wrong with you people, Edmonton? Please, it's like just do do something. Do, do anything that isn't this. You can't honestly tell me, as the Edmonton Oilers, okay, you cannot look me in the eye and tell me that you are comfortable heading into the playoffs with Mike Smith and Miko Koskinen. You can't. Because you'd be lying to me, you'd be lying to yourself, be lying to your wife you'd be lying to everybody in the room all right there's no universe in which that is something you're okay with i mean and, it's just like, not like and like what are you gonna do you're gonna go into the off season and see what goalies are available okay sure maybe at that point you know you could trade for strike out on like, all of them again right like you could maybe trade for like alexander Georgiev or whatever but based on your track record for the last two seasons i don't have any faith that you're actually gonna do that <laughs> seemingly not right like you just keep bringing back fucking mike smith they're like yo this is the mike smith show like this is that's all we got <laughs> the mike smith show should have been canceled after its first season like, i don't even think it should have made it through its first season to be honest with you obviously the trade deadline is not over yet but when the beat reporters are saying the edmonton Oilers are pretty much out they're pretty much out like it's, it's over it's not looking good, and it just frustrates me to no end. So, are there any other things or trades you want to talk about last second before we uh, wrap up here? Um, I don't think so. So, like I said, you know, keep in mind, guys, this is being recorded on this Sunday. Uh, so the trade deadline is obviously Monday. Um, so after the trade deadline, uh, we'll probably be doing our episode, you know, usual Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, somewhere in that range. Um. So in that sense, just keep in mind this is pre-recorded, and then we'll be doing a full trade deadline wrap-up 
for the other trades that come through the pipeline after the fact. So keep that in mind. Um, and yes, you know, I, I feel like we do beat the dead horse sometimes with the Leafs and Oilers, but it bears repeating because I actually physically get stupider every time I think about the things that these teams do. <laughs> and it's coming from a place of genuine frustration because I want to see guys like Austin Matthews, Mitch Marner, and Connor McDavid go deep into playoffs because I want to watch more of them play, but I don't get to do that because the teams are poo-poo-doo-doo-caca. So, yeah, just keep that in mind. Uh, anyway, enough ranting. I'm going to freaking blow goddamn blood vessel in my forehead just blow a gasket <laughs> literally gonna end up looking like peyton manning if i keep thinking about this nonsense right in order to rationalize what the leafs and oilers do you have to have a forehead the size of peyton manning just for all the the mental gymnastics you have to do honestly yeah so <laughs> thank you guys for watching and then we will talk to you guys again next time